0: Everybody said, God bless
1: you.
0: And I have heard a sound coming on the wind, changing hearts and minds, healing brokenness. I feel a generation breaking through despair. I hear a generation full of faith deep there and I saw it will be. And out of the darkness we will rise and... And he is Jesus, soul oh, my hope is in Him. He is freedom. He is healing right now. He is hope and joy. seen the light like the break of dawn give the blind inside letting me walk I see a generation with resurrection life we are a generation filled with the power of When the storm, it will be Out of the darkness, we will rise and sing
1: Joy, love, and peace and life. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. There's nothing so conspicuous as standing up here when you don't know the song and can't sing. I did not have the mic on. You're welcome. Before we uh, get into our message this morning, um, I've asked uh, Pastor Howie and, and his wife, Diane, to come and share just a little bit about what's going on in the prison, if they would come quick.
2: Good morning. We just wanted to give you an update. Out at the prison, there's a lot of changes in management, things like this. And so sometimes opportunities seem to come and go. Well, one has come. And we're excited about it. Uh, we just began a, a worship service very similar to what we're doing here right now. We, we did our first one this past Friday night. And uh, we had over 40 men come into this service. And you know what? It was, it was great. It was, and, and I'm excited about it. And I tell you what, we've done this before in the past. I know, you know what, our God is a God of multiplication. He said, be blessed and multiply. We're going to double that. We're going to triple that. And we have done that in the past. We're going to do that again. My wife and I, we've been doing this for some time together. She is really helpful in this. She's anything that needs to get done, including finding my sermon notes. When I lose them, she hunts them down for me because we're doing all these things that we're doing. But we want you to understand that Jesus said, when I was in prison, you came to me. And our church certainly, and you all know this doesn't end at the walls here. We are to go out into the, in, into the places there and into the world, and we are to proclaim Jesus. And we do that. And you know what? I, I love to say this. One of the happiest parts of my report is, you know what? We cross all the lines of race. Why is that big? Because in a prison, if you want to survive, you've got to become a racist. But in our services, we don't have any of that. We got all colors. We we don't have all sexes because they only have one down there. But uh, that's all of them. <laughs> but we just wanted to share this with you because it's exciting what we do out there. And you see men their 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 eyes light up and and it, because they're hearing the word of God. That that spirit has been put on me, and it's my honor and my duty to go. And share that with them, and we wanted to share that with you. We want you to know that the church that you attend heard the words of Jesus. When I was in prison, you came to me. This church comes. If you feel a calling on your life that you want to do something like this, you know what? Get in touch with me or my wife, and we will we'll, we'll do what we can to get you involved in that. And you can just come in and try it out and say, "Hey, I want. I've never seen this. What are you doing?" So come on down or, or get in touch with us, and we, we would love you to, you know, when people go in there, they go, wow, this is amazing. It's amazing. So we just wanted to share that with you. So enjoy your service. I know the message is going to be great. I heard it this morning. I would say to him, I would say to him, well done, good and faithful servant.
1: Praise God. It, it, it's really exciting to hear what God is doing out there. You know, one of the things that we, we are trying to do, is to give you these reports a little bit more often, you know. Um, we also, you know, we have Jacob's Ladder, we have the prison ministry, we have benevolence, and, and different things that are going on in in our church that oftentimes from this position right here in the in the sanctuary you don't always see what's happening. And I just want you to know that Praise Chapel has a very large footprint, not only uh, in Kingman, but we really have a large footprint. Uh, in the world, in you know, every everywhere from Asia, Hong Kong, the Philippines, uh, multiple countries in in, in Asia, Vietnam, um, even all the way into Nepal, uh, then multiple countries in Africa, the Middle East, and throughout those areas uh, where God is just doing a great work, where we are directly involved in the sense of support and 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 doing that, changing lives and. You know, when we get to heaven, it's going to be an amazing family reunion uh, where we come together and see what God has done uh, with, with us. Sometimes I think that we, we kind of get a little bit um, maybe isolated in, in, in our understanding, and so we definitely want to share that with you to, so that you know uh, what we are accomplishing together. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn over to the book of Ephesians. We'll get to that here in just a minute. Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we will get to that here in a minute. Um, what we've been talking about for the last few weeks is uh, really simple. It's, it, it, it's a very profound, but it is a very simple message. And basically it boils down to this, is how we relate to one another. You know, I don't know if there's anything probably more important uh, to the church of Jesus Christ than getting this down, getting this to a place where we understand it. Um, I, I, you know, the thing is, is, is that as Christians, we have to make some decisions. And what I mean by that is, we have to make a decision about what, what are we doing here? What, what is this really all about? Okay, because uh, if if we don't make those decisions, then what ends up happening is we default into a place where um, we end up just passing. Sp- time you know we just mark our time we punch our card and and we go okay i've done my duty for the weekend but i can tell you this is that that has never been the plan of god see christianity is not supposed to be about a church christianity is not supposed to be about a moment christianity is supposed to be about a life And that life should affect every area of our life. In other words, Paul put it this way. He says, you know what, I died in Christ. He says, but the life that I live now, I live in Christ. And Christ lives through me. And so he's talking about the fact that this has revolutionized everything. And so that really ought to have an effect on how we deal with one another and what we do together together. You know, we talked about that, we're talking about how we relate together, we're talking about it in the context of family, and the reason why we're saying that is because it is not enough this morning just to be a member of a church. It's not enough to be a member of the church. Now, Praise Chapel does not have formal membership, but if you've come here more than one time, then we consider you a member, and so somewhere along the line, even at that, that's not, it's not enough to just call Praise Chapel your church. Okay, It's not enough. It's more important than that. There are things that that God wants from us, and there must be something deeper about it. Can you say amen? Because that's what we were created for. See, we were created for relationship. Listen to what I'm saying. Our Father in heaven is a relational being. God is relational. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, you'll find out that what God wanted when he created the heavens and the earth and he created everything, the Garden of Eden, and he put man in it, he wanted us to be relational. He wanted you and I to relate to him and to one another. And everything that he does... Look at when you read the Bible, when you read it from Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation, you'll find out that everything that God does is done in the context of relationship. We were created in His image and in His likeness, and therefore we too are to be relational. Everything about us this morning, all five senses, every emotion we feel, our deepest thoughts and our most basic needs are all about relationship. It's about relationship. It's being connected together, living healthy lives in relationship. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, last week, we had a tremendous time looking at the characteristics of a healthy family. Because I believe this morning that this is what God is speaking to our church, is that we are to become a family. Now, one of the things that we said to you last week is we said that family family is intentional. You know, nobody ever goes to Walmart and comes home with a family. You yeah. know, yeah. you know, you know, family is not that. You know, there's a lot of things at Walmart that they have strategically located in the store for what's called impulse buying. Okay, you know, that's why all the candy is up front. Is because you've just you know, you're spending all that time in Walmart and you're hungry and you're standing there and you go, oh, Snickers bar. Yeah, that's me. And so you buy it. But, you know, you know, family is not to be an impulse. It's not a, it's, you don't just trip into, you know, you're not walking down the road and you stumble and go, oh my God, I got a family. It doesn't happen that way. Family is intentional. It's something you decide. It's It's something that you say, I want this in my life. Even if Even if the the beginning stages of it are not intentional, there's still decisions you have to make to produce a family. I I mean, it may not have been intentional, but you were intentional at one point. There was a definite decision made. (laughs) It may have been beyond your control, but you made a decision. And so I want to take some time and remind you of what we said See, I think the reason that the church struggles so much with family and this idea of family is because family has become so distorted in the world we live. In our society, family has taken a, it's taken a heavy toll. It's been under attack for a long time. And I think the reason why family is under attack is because there's something special about family. See, there was a day in our society when family was prioritized. It was revered. It was even celebrated. Now, in many ways, in this current generation, family can be the place of our greatest pain. Amen. Some of our greatest pain comes out of this dynamic called family. And that's why when we come into church and somebody starts like me, starts preaching on becoming a family, it's like, well, you know, the last family I was involved in, it didn't work out so well. I'm not sure I like that. And that is a distortion. Now, listen to me. You've got you to kind of apply some logic. Hey, I've gone to some restaurants that didn't work out so well. Amen. Has, have you ever gone to a restaurant and had really bad service and really bad food? I mean, you go, you know what? There's a particular restaurant, I will not mention it here in town, that I'm not sure I'm going back to. I, I went there the other day. Now, I love this place. When I say I love it, it's, it, I, it's a fast food joint, all right. I will go to that place in other cities, but the last couple times I've gone here, you know, it's it's like pff, this is not good. Right. Right. It's not good. I don't. I've. I, but you know what? I guarantee it hasn't stopped me from eating. Right. I said, that's the crazy thing about Christianity. We come into church and we we have this bad experience, and and it's like, well, that's it. I'm against all organized religion. Really. Right. I'm against all organized eating. I, it's just come on. It's, it's, it's obvious that, that I haven't given that up. Come on. We, you know, we, we just get to a point where it's like, you know, I don't know what's going on here. But in church, we, have, we kind of come up with all these things. And I think the reason that this is fought so much in church is because the devil knows. If he can destroy or at least distort the family, then he can greatly limit the church. Why? Because the church is supposed to be a family. The kingdom of God. Look at, let me say this to you. Think about this. Here's a revelation for you. The government of the kingdom of God is family. Our father who art in heaven. The head of this kingdom is a father. The one he sent to extend the kingdom is the son. Why did he send him? So that there could be more sons and daughters, children of God. It's a family. And so we got to ask ourselves, is there an answer for all this destruction in the family? And the answer is yes. But what we must do is we must return to what God has intended the family to be. We must not allow this world or our negative experiences to define what the family is to be. We must get back to the Word of God and find again the blueprint of family. Not only for our church family, but also for our natural families. What's God intended for this house, this church as a family, but also what is God intended for you as families in Christ. As Christians, we cannot ignore the multitude of responsibilities that we have towards each other as believers, especially in family. Listen to me. The Bible gives us specific commands, not suggestions, commands, as to how we are to relate to one another. Amen. And these commands need to shape our life. We're called to admonish one another. We're called to confess our sins to one another. To forgive graciously one another. The Bible instructs us to live in peace With others, we are to show love and hospitality and patience and tenderhearted mercy towards one another. The Bible tells us that we are to faithfully pray for one another, to encourage one another as we motivate each other towards good works. This is what the Bible is telling us. But how is all of this going to happen? How are we going to become the people that God wants us to be? How are we going to become the family that God wants us to be? Well, the answer is simple. By embracing healthy family characteristics that are based in biblical understanding. And last week, we looked at five of them. And I'm going to just go over these just very quickly. Just, I'm going to just mention them because I want to keep these. I want this list to be active in your mind. The first characteristic is connection and communication. Without connection and communication, everything is off the board. If you, you have to understand you are connected. Whether you like it or not, you are connected. The question is, will you communicate? The question is, will you do life together? That's the question. The second thing is love. We need to make allowances, the Bible says, for one another's faults. And we need to forgive one another. That's, that really is how we extend love. We need to extend mercy. Mercy see, because I love you, I will make a way for you, or I'll make a way to either remove or carry the penalty for you. I'm going to extend mercy to your life. Protect. I'm going to protect. I'm going to defend the family. I'm going to prioritize the family unit and the relationship in it. You know, this is so well seen in the world when it comes to sports teams. You ever met somebody that is, uh, I mean, a hardcore fan of a particular team. If you talk about any other team, boy, they'll tear your head off. Right. Amen. You know, it's, it, there's just some people that are hardcore. Well, the, you know, and gangs, they understand this. Blood in, blood out. That means you're going to prioritize what you're doing here. The military understands this. No man left behind. The Marine Corps, it's, it's something, it, it, it's a part of their DNA, it's, a, it's, it's something that they're trained from the very beginning. It's like, this matters. You know, what? actually what they're trained to do is this guy on this side and this guy on that side, you got their lives in their hands. Because they understand this guy has your life in his hands. And so somewhere along the line, what they do is they prioritize the whole, and it goes all the way through, the, all the way down to the unit, to the squad, whoever it is, but they're prioritizing and protecting the unit. And finally, the, the, the dynamic and the characteristic of rescuing and restoring. <clears throat> See, we don't overlook, we empower. We empower hurt and wounded people through love and grace. Amen. We love them. Now, this morning, I want to I continue on, and I want to move on, and I'm going to have to go really quick because I'm already running out of time. I want to uh, look at a few more characteristics of a healthy family. But I want you to listen to the, this passage of Scripture. This passage of Scripture in, in our text, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, it's going to capture what we're talking about. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and the Bible says this, It says, he is the one who gives these gifts to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ, until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature and fully grown in the Lord, measuring up to the full stature of Christ. Then we will no longer be like children, forever chasing or forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different or because someone has cleverly lied to us and made the lie sound like the truth. Instead, we will hold to the truth in love, becoming more and more in every way like Christ, who is the head of his body, of the church. Under his direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly as each part does its own special work, It helps other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Our text is probably one of the greatest descriptions of the church as a family being connected together in relationship. And with that in mind, what I want to do is I want to take a little bit of time and I want to look quickly at some of the things that I see in this verse that are characteristics of a healthy family. First off, healthy families encourage, they comfort, they support, they emphasize the good. Let me ask you a question. Who doesn't like? If you're here tonight, today, this morning, and you do not like an encouraging word, let us know. See, I don't think there's anybody here that would go, no, no, I don't want you to encourage me. I just want you to find my faults. If you could tell me what's wrong with me all the time. You know, how many know that that, that don't work for us, does it? Yeah. We like encouraging words. We, we like it when people find the good in us. We, we like it. You know, you know what our favorite subject is? Us. You know, one of the things that I learned early on in counseling, you know how to be an effective counselor? Talk about you. amen when 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 somebody's having a hard time opening up you know what you do you just say hey what do you like well I, i like this i like that and then you could you dig in and you go for why because we love talking about us i love encouraging words i love it when people come up and go hey man you're looking good today you, 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 did, you did really well today, or, or you know what? You're, you're really helping me, or keep going, pastor. It's a good thing. We're, we're having a great time. I love that. Amen. 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 Yeah. Sure. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, it says, Anxiety at a man's heart weighs him down, right. but a good word makes him glad. In Proverbs 16, 24, it says gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Yep. And then in Proverbs 25, 11, it says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. The Bible understands, God understands how we're created. And he understands that, you know what, somewhere along the line, what we like is encouragement. The atmosphere of the family should be one of encouragement and comfort and support. Do you know in the early days of the church there was a man who embodied this very principle. This man, his name was Barnabas. And literally his name means son of encouragement. Actually, Barnabas was actually kind of a nickname for this man. They literally called him that because that was the character of his life. In Acts chapter 9, what we see is Barnabas with Paul. When Paul became a Christian, you know the story. Paul was known as Saul of Tarsus. And he had gotten orders from the Sanhedrin. He had gotten orders from the upper echelons of of the Jewish society to go to a place called Damascus. Earlier this morning, I said Jericho, but it was Damascus. <clears throat> he's on the road to Damascus. He has letters to, uh, to uh, persecute the Christians in that area, and he's going to go to the synagogue, and he's going to take care of this. Well, along the way, Jesus meets with him, calls out of heaven. Paul falls to the ground. He gets saved, gives his life to God. Well, here's Paul. He's now saved. Now, you've got to remember, Paul, the apostle, was Saul of Tarsus. When he was Saul of Tarsus, he was the church's enemy. He, 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 was, he was the thorn in the side. He was the guy hauling you out of your house and taking all your stuff because you are a Christian. He's persecuting you. He's, he's putting people in jail. All of a sudden, now he's Christian, and he shows up at church. Hey, guys, I got saved. No, you didn't. Get out of here. Can you imagine? You know, know, it's funny. I can imagine. See, I kind of can insert myself in this story because I can imagine Paul showing up at church. And everybody's like, oh, dear God, we're in trouble now. Can you? You know, because we don't believe God's going to save the tough cases. No, no, no. We don't believe that. No, we don't believe that. That's why Paul needed an encourager. He needed Barnabas. He needed a co signer He needed a timely friend. He needed somebody to come alongside him and go, hey, to the church, go, look at. I'm co-signing for this guy. He really did get saved. Are you sure? Are you sure? You know, Do you understand who he is? Do you understand that? I'm telling you, and we just don't buy it. We, 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 we're like, oh, I don't know. But he gets saved. And what does Barnabas do? He goes and he, he takes him to the or the apostles and he says, listen, guys, he's saved. It's real. It's the real deal. Can you imagine if there wouldn't have been an encourager? What would have happened to Paul? I don't know. You know, you, you, we, all, we can sit back and go, well, God would have made another way. And possibly he would have. But the reality is we don't know. I wonder how many people could be saved or would have retained and actually caused that thing to log into their lives and to become whole had it been just a church would encourage them. Rather than counting their tattoos and going, really?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Do you know what that guy does? He smokes. Smoking. I know smoking won't take you to hell, but it just smell like you've been there. You know, we got to knock that crap off. How many know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm saying? Amen. Do you know why I say that? Is because there was a time in my life where I was highly religious like that. Where I would just look at you and I would fillet you. I would just go, no, this is. Because you just didn't meet my understanding of what a Christian should look like. Right. But rather than being the critical police, <laughs> I'm choosing to. You know, I had a guy in, in Jacob's Ladder a while back. He, he, and I'm going to blow your mind. You, hang on. Put your seatbelt on. Right on. Right on. And I'll explain myself before, so don't get reworded. He comes to me and he goes, Pastor, he goes, man, I am struggling. He goes, I got saved. And, you know, he says, I gave my life to Jesus, but I'm struggling. I said, what, what are you struggling with? He goes, I'm struggling. I can't, I just can't seem to stop smoking dope, man. He goes, I can't, I just, I fall back into it, fall back into it, fall back into it. And I went, stop trying. Stop. Quit trying to quit smoking dope. He looked at me like, what? I said, here, instead of that, Focus on living for God. Focus on getting close to Jesus. And he just looked at me. I said, see, because, see, that, what you're doing is really just a symptom anyway. And if you will get close to Jesus, if, you, if you'll just love God, if, you, if you'll come into a place where you truly love God and walk with him, you know what, all that stuff will clean itself up. I, I don't have to be the spiritual cop navigating your life. What I need to be is encourage you. Now listen, I know that there are people out there that are on camera and there's people in here. You might look at me and go, oh, you're just soft on sin. No. If you're sinning, stop it. Right. Right. Don't do that. It's destructive. It will take you places you don't want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. Trust me. But Listen. Sin is not the problem. Your relationship with God is. Relationship with God. When you, when you come into that place and you, and you go, you know what, God, I love you, and, I, and you open yourself to him, he solved the problem. Jesus solved the sin problem. He comes in with righteousness and grace. Grace doesn't overlook sin. It empowers righteousness in our life. It causes us to be strong and right with him. It causes us the ability to say no. We need to encourage. We need this kind of encouragement. Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you've been doing. In other words, Paul talking to the Thessalonians, he's talking to the people at Thessalonica and he's saying, look at you've already been doing this, but I want to impress on you to keep doing this. Yes. Think how easy it is to become a discourager. Right. Now listen, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not picking, When I, I'm going to use an example today, but... And I only use the example to make a point. So I'm not picking on anything, okay? Just look to your neighbor and say, he's not picking on me. Okay, good. All right. I, I was looking on Facebook the other day. Facebook, I, I, I keep threatening I'm going to shut my Facebook down. Because it's so negative. And the reason I don't is because my curiosity right now has still trumped my disdain for negativity (laughs) but you know I saw found something on Facebook the other day where it's a place you could go and you can register your your complaints or you can register your uh, support as it were and that's great I mean I and I think we probably should have some balanced forums for that and discussion I I'm all for discussion and that. But here's part of the problem that I see with registering complaints it's a snapshot. If I were to put a picture on the screen of Kathy and I at any given time in our marriage, in the 33 years we've been married, 32 years, 33 we've been together, 32 married, <coughs> heading there, what, whatever. And so. <laughs> If, if if I put that on the on the screen, a snapshot. You could not make a judgment of our relationship based on that snapshot. Okay. but that's what happens. So what happens is we. How many have ever? How many have ever made a mistake? I mean, you've made a mistake. Raise your hand. Right? If you're not raising your hand, you just made a mistake. <laughs> <clears throat> We all make mistakes. I, I made a mistake. I'll, I'll tell you. I made. have made some embarrassing mistakes. Have you ever made an embarrassing mistake? I mean, it's like, you see, you, when I, I was dating this girl. When I, I lived in Holbrook, Arizona, and I was dating this girl, and I think I was in tenth grade, and I think she was in, I think she was in ninth. I pray she was in ninth. Anyway, we ended up going out with the youth group to Pizza Hut. And so we're sitting there. There's about 10 of us at this big old table. And I took a big old bite of pizza. And, I, you know, we're eating pizza. Come on. And so I'm eating the pizza and I'm chewing. And somebody said something funny. And I caught me and I laughed. And I laughed out loud with my mouth open. And pizza flew out of my mouth stuck right to her forehead. That was a mistake. Now, if you would judge my dating success based on that moment, But see, we're so wound up in being able to enumerate the negative. Yeah. Well, you know, I go to the church, and it's this, and this, this is the problem there, and this is and that pastor, this, and, the, you know, the worship team, and, then you know, the air conditioning, the sound, and, the, you know, the chairs. And Look, at we got, we got problems. Yeah. Let's, let's just admit it. There's lots of problems. But let me tell you something. There's a lot of good, too. Yeah. Can you say Amen. Yeah. There's a lot going on. Let's look at the good. Let's encourage the good. Let's just overcome the bad, and let's just encourage the good. That's what family does. See, my wife makes mistakes. I don't, but she does. It's not true. It's like I told you this morning. I got up grumpy. I did. I walked in the bathroom. I don't even know what she said to me. What did you say to me? Neither knows. That's how irrelevant it is. But I know I was grumpy. Now I do remember this when she turned to me and goes, What's today? <laughs> oh, happy birthday, baby. <laughs> it's so easy. We, we, we make mistakes. But if we judge one another, if, we, if all that we're doing is, 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 is focusing on that negative, you know what? We, we'll, we'll never see anything good. Families encourage, families comfort, families support. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Another healthy family characteristic is families nurture and they teach and they correct. The Bible says this, and i got to get moving. The Bible says Jesus spoke to his disciples and he says, go into all the world and he says, make disciples of all nations. Well, that's an interesting thought because what is discipleship? Well, discipleship is learning. It's growing. And so healthy families, what do they do? They teach. They correct. In many ways, what, they're, what we're talking about is family is about discipleship. We nurture. We raise them up. We empower. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? Well, this is what God's talking about. That's what families do. We're teaching people we should be about discipleship. Mothers and fathers, spiritual mothers and fathers, teaching spiritual children. Brothers and sisters growing in the Lord. That's what church is supposed to be. It's really reproducing ourselves, isn't it? Isn't that what families do is they reproduce themselves? When a, a young woman or a young man or a young woman, young man get married, when they do, what's the first thing? They're thinking about family. They're reproducing who they are. Paul writes to Timothy and he says this in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2, he says, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. <clears throat> it's in the context of family. Paul is saying, I taught you, you teach faithful men, and they will teach others. There's four generations. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, and faithful men to others, and on and on and on it goes. It's generational. What takes place in here is generational. Some of you that have been around a while that are older in the Lord, what we need from you is you have a well of, of experience and wisdom that comes just through life experience. You need to rise up and be those mothers and fathers in the Lord. Why? Because that's family. In our text, Paul tells us, he says, "I gave you." Uh, 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 Jesus tells us, I gave you apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers what for the equipping of the saints to prepare them to teach them to correct them to instruct them to nurture them why so they could do the work of the ministry that's what we did in our family healthy families empower each other and i wrote down in my notes i might i actually wrote this down. what can this possibly mean it means through encouragement instruction we release one another to our full destiny Now, I kind of want to just point something out here. I'm I'm almost done, so hang on with me. Listen, the church, the church family, should be an incubator of that kind of empowerment, that we raise people up to their full destiny. That is what held me in the beginning days of my discipleship. There was a lot of things I could have done. There was a lot of things I was able to do when I was a young man. But what held me was this idea that I had a destiny, and I could realize that destiny. I remember going to conferences, and I remember they would put up a, 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 a one, a, you know there would be a week-long conference, and they would put up a video of, of, of missionaries going all over the world, and they'd put this video up of this wonderful, remarkable uh, moments in their, in their ministry, and I would say, "I want that." I want to do that. I want to be that guy. I want... The guys would get up and they would testify, tell stories about their churches and what God was doing. And I said, I want that. And I had people in my life that would encourage me, instruct me, and ultimately empower me to become that. Now, what does that mean? That means we empower through the impartation of the laying on of hands. Paul, listen, I want, I want you to listen to this portion of Scripture. Paul is speaking to Timothy. Now, you've got to realize, Timothy is a young man. The commentators say he's somewhere between the age of 17 and 21. And he's pastoring a church of somewhere around 50,000. 17, 21. Well, yeah, that's that's a whole sermon right there. This is what Paul writes to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears. That I may be filled with joy when I re- I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, then your mother Lois, or your grandmother Lois, and then your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded it is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. Here, Paul is acknowledging, in the context of family, a faith that first existed in his grandmother. Then it went into his mother and then into him. And he said, there is something also that's beyond that because of the laying on of hands. We are to empower through the laying on of hands. We are also to empower through instruction and in righteousness. In 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof and correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete that he may be empowered, thoroughly equipped, thoroughly empowered for every good work. And then we empower by giving the opportunity to practice. You say, what does that mean? It means that we allow people to fail at what they're doing. A friend of ours, who's a friend of of, of of the pastors on staff here, his name is uh, Hank Houghton. He's a pastor up in the northwest. He was preaching here a while back, and he made this statement. He says, "Anything worth doing is worth doing badly for a while." Right. He said, "Why is that? Because it's understanding." See, the first time I got up to preach, somewhere they have it. They have my very first sermon back there in the back if you want to hear it. They have it on CD somewhere back there. But it's, it's, it, it wasn't all that good. I remember the title is called Where Have All the Rainbows Gone? And it was a sermon about hope. And, and what it was about, it was about a fight Kathy and I got into. And I got behind the pulpit. And I was monotone. I didn't move. I was hanging on to that pulpit and I just would look down like this and I'd look up. The Bible, it was bad. It was horrible. Nobody lied. The, the, after, after I got done, a woman walked up to me and she goes, nice speech. <laughs> That's not what you want to hear after you got done preaching. I, you know, I thought I was a wild man. I thought, you know what, I was the man of power for the hour. But I was, I guess, just delivering a speech. <laughs> Pastor Alex, he talks about his dad offered to get him speech lessons the first time he heard him preach. It's like, maybe you guys ought to figure out how to do public speaking. You probably should. But see, that was the thing. Back in the day, you know what? My pastor allowed me to get behind this pulpit and fail.. So what does that mean? That means I'm empowering you. Get up there and do it. Get up there and give it all you got. And you know what? Through time and practice, I was able to get better and better and better. The problem in churches now is we demand perfection. And if we don't do it perfect the first time, it's like, well, you're no good. Get out. But that's not Bible. Listen, I'm going to give you a verse of scripture. I've got to move on. I'm almost done. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have need, you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So he's talking about immaturity there. Then he says, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. And he's now going to define it. That is, those by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Any gift you got, you're going to have to use and exercise. If you don't use it and exercise it, you'll never grow in it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And the church has to be willing... To let us practice. Really quickly, the last three are take. We got to take responsibility. We've got to we got to take responsibility. Every family, the members of the family have responsibility. We have to take. We have to find our place in the family, and do that. Second, the third, third fifth one, is honor, and we need to give preference, honor and give preference to each other and finally we're unified we have to be a unified front I apologize for not being able to get to those but I wanted to speak them because I believe God's doing something with us today I believe God's taking us somewhere And what, but let me tell you let me go back to the statement I made it's not going to be automatic we have to do something you have to. You have to do something more than you're doing now. If you don't, if you don't stretch yourself, you won't grow. You won't. If you always eat baby formula, you will always have a digested system that can only handle baby formula. At some point in time, you have to in- introduce something more. So, well, I, it's scary. It is scary. But God won't let you down. He won't let you be ashamed. Can you say amen? Praise God. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you. God, we just give you glory and honor. We thank you, God, for your abundance today. We thank you for your revelation. And Father, we pray today that, God, that you would just be with us. Father, we pray that you would challenge us and help us, Lord, these traits, these family dynamics, these characteristics. Father, we pray that you would make a way. Father, that Praise Chapel in every way would be a family. Father, we pray that you would add to our number. We pray that you would bless. Lord, that there would be abundance in this place. Every family represented here would have more than enough. God, that you would pour out blessings. Lord, that you would pour out anointing and goodness and favor, grace. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had together. And we give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name.